Welcome to Automating the Chain, the weekly podcast and webinar specifically engineered to support and educate executives as they explore the potential of industrial automation. Each week, we sit down with an executive leader or their technical counterpart of an international organization to discuss how they plan to leverage industrial automation to advance their business. We will also have startups focused on automating the supply chain explain their technology in an accessible way. Experts in the field will colour in historical and current case studies. Without further ado, let's get into the show. A very, very warm welcome to Vince, who oversees product and marketing at Right Hand Robotics. Thank you so much for coming on Automating the Chain. Where are you dialing in from? Well, today, you know, with with work from home being what it is, and my kids are doing school from home, today I'm actually uh, sitting outside their orthodontist office in the car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a new world. It's quite different. I, absolutely. And where in America are you? We are just outside of Boston. Very, very nice. It must be getting chilly there. Well, Vincent, it is, yeah. why don't I start by introducing you and really it would be fantastic for you to give us a bit of an idea of how you ended up at Right Hand Robotics. Really, uh, what is your history? How did you get there? I was thinking about this. I've probably been in new product development and commercialization for, for around 30 years or so now, different industries and technologies. It, it's a fun thing to do. You know, it's, it, it's a team sport. You, you need to execute across an organization, a lot of smart people involved, but you spend a lot of time working with customers, educating them about this new thing. By definition, whatever the new product or system is, is something they've never bought or used before. So they're, you know, even if it's cool, even if it looks like it's going to help, they need a little guidance on what to do. And then pretty quickly they start providing feedback because what you thought was important about your product, you find out, oh, we missed this or we need this feature or function to make it really, you know, a home run for the customer, right? So, so that's what we try to do. I spent a few years at a place called Kiva Systems. Uh, a lot of people know Kiva because it got acquired by Amazon. And that was really an inflection point for robots and warehouses. Since then, you know, things have taken off really unbelievably. Back in 2007, when I joined Kiva, we had to try to convince everybody that having a robot in a warehouse was a good idea was even possible. You know, now that everybody believes that, right? So we're hoping to do it again with piece picking robots, which we'll talk about today. And 10 years from now, you and I will get on a call like this and say, oh, remember when th- that seemed like a hard thing to do? Now they're everywhere, right? <laughs> in- incredible. So you've got a huge amount of in- industry experience. So can you tell us a little bit about the problem that you're solving at Right Hand Robotics specifically? Sure. Yeah, at at Right Hand Robotics, the company came about because our founders had been working on robotic gripping systems, primarily driven by some needs in the defense department. Why does anybody care about that? Online purchasing, e-commerce is growing rapidly. Not a big shocker. I think people know that. But the scale is stunning. 15 to 20% growth year over year for the last 10, 15, 20 years going. All projections say that's going to continue. And this year, of course, the pandemic has forced that to spike. When people can't go to stores, they order their groceries online, they order their medicines online, they order everything online. 
And the industry found out that they're not ready for that level of capacity and throughput and so on, right? So automation is, is a big part of the problem. We looked at, just recently, we looked at some Gartner studies where they said the number one pain point or concern from people running fulfillment centers is where can they find enough people to handle the items to get them in the boxes and ship them out the door? So it's a huge problem uh, uh, right now that a picking robot can be part of the solution to solve that in the long term. So your, let's go specific to the retailers out there. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little about, uh, about the picking device? I can see it in your background, but can you help <laughs> visualize for those who are listening or watching? What, did it, what exactly does it do? Why is it, you know, why is it different to any other picking device out there? Yeah, so probably anyone listening to this podcast has seen factory robots. They've been around for a long time, 30 years, 50 years. A factory robot is, is a wonderful machine, but designed to work in a very structured environment. It's going to pick the same item, presented to it exactly in the same orientation millions of times a year, over and over. And even then where it places it is exactly the same space. There's no variation in that workspace or the task or anything. Now in a warehouse, inventory is typically stored in large plastic bins in some sort of automated inventory system. The inventory is presented to a person to pick. So again, if I've ordered a blue t-shirt, the bin with blue t-shirts is brought to a person. They pick an item out, put it in a box for me. Well, that task is, is simple for a person, but impossible for a factory robot. Why? Because when the items are in this bin and they're just sort of jumbled in there, the factory robot couldn't tell which one to pick. And, and you know, every pick is a little different. This is a key idea. In the warehouse, Every time you pick an item, it is a slightly different task, even if I pick the same item several times in a row. So an autonomous picking robot for a warehouse has to have a computer vision system with artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence, so we can see into the tote and distinguish items from each other, make choices about which one to grab. It needs a really intelligent gripper, you know, because every item's different. If the next pick is a t-shirt, the next one's shampoo, the next one is a book, you know, each one you're going to pick up differently if you think about it. So that gripper's got to be very uh, multifunctional and capable and intelligent. And then, you know, you tie that all together and build the system that's safe and reliable. And, you know, that's what we bring to the table. What we call right pick is this integrated autonomous picking machine. Got it. And you're, you're, you've gone into the AI piece a little bit. Does that mean that no one can go and build a essentially picking device uh, because your algorithms have learned much more, you've got a huge training set? Can you tell us a little bit more about why it's, it would be quite difficult for, you, for mm -hmm. anyone to go and pick, uh, create a uh, yes. similar to yours? It's interesting because there are uh, research groups around the world and a lot of people, you know, it's a great academic pursuit to see who can do this slightly better with a new algorithm and so on. And in sort of controlled demos, you know, there's all sorts of continued progress in the field. That said, getting to the point where you're 80% good in a warehouse is kind of easy, but that's not useful for anybody. Again, if you think about the person doing this task in the warehouse, they're pretty close to 100% of the time. If, if, again, if you and I had to stand in front of a bin of items and I said, pick an item and place it over here, you could do it every time. It's not that hard, right? So a robot at 80%, 90%, 95% isn't useful to anybody. But I think the real challenge in the competition right now is kind of two things. 
One is making a system that integrates easily with other automation in the warehouse, with other software in the warehouse, and then achieves this high reliability that you need to use it every day. So it's more of a help and not a headache to the people running the building. Well, thank you so much for that. Let's you know, make sure that we're covering, uh, for those who are very much commercial, the executives out there, I think they're probably thinking, who are your customers? What does it look like? How do you exactly, as a customer, end up working with you? And can you give us a bit of an idea of your customers, which markets you are, are in, and how a customer would approach you, typically? Yeah, so today, again, as I mentioned, we're based in Boston, so we're based in the States. We have customers in the U.S., but also in Europe and Japan. And um, what we've found is in all of these markets, in this high e-commerce growth, there's huge sort of labor uncertainty and costs and so on. So there's a motivation to, to try to automate if possible. Most of our customers are the kinds of companies who look to leverage technology to get a competitive edge over their competitors by serving their customers better, right? So, you know, other folks are going to lag behind and watch and see how those people do. So I think even today, and it makes it nice, you know, we deal with a lot of forward-looking companies who are uh, somewhat aggressive in how they go with uh, technology. But that said, our product is really, really uh, great at smallish items, let's say under a couple of kilograms, maybe up to about maybe more than 10, 12, 14 inches on a side, what's that, 40 centimeters or so. You know, the kinds of things, though, that people buy every day, health and beauty products, cosmetics, so many dry goods, grocery items, everyday stuff, right? So if people are picking and shipping a lot of items like that, I think that's where, you know, we can help. And so the customers, yeah, forward-looking, smallish items, retail sectors online, and at that point, well, they could, you know, we could chat with them and help them figure out if it makes sense or not. Your phone's going to start buzzing straight after this. When was, <laughs> after people hear this, and they're going to call you and say, right, can you pick these items? We're getting yes. X amount of orders. Or yes. I, my understanding is you might also have a lot of partners. So I, my understanding is that you, as a robotics company, work with integrators. Can you tell us a little bit about not just the customers you work with, but how you work with the integrators and what that relationship looks like? We work with integrators on maybe two or three levels here. So I'll mention a couple partnerships that are interesting because we have some publicly named partners like Element Logic in, based in Norway. We do projects with them in, in Europe as well. The company Okamura in Japan, Tompkins Robotics in the States, and also, of course, SBT. These all do a little bit something different. Element and Okamura can integrate a system called AutoStore. It's an inventory storage system, but into an entire warehouse flow. And they're both you know, leaders in, in that space. And what they recognize is, you know, the one thing the inventory can't do is it can't jump out of the bin into the box you want it to go into, right? So the robot almost makes the, that process uh, seamless, right? And so they're seeing that as an advantage they can bring to their customers, right? And so we have a software API. We can take emissions and instructions from their system, execute these tasks, and, and away you go, right? SVT is interesting because in some warehouses, the warehouse management software or warehouse execution software may or may not be brought to the, to the warehouse by the same company doing all the other pieces of automation. 
And so when it comes to integrating the robot, even if we have a pretty simple messaging API and so on and so forth, it may not be the kind of, uh, I don't know, the project may not make sense for whoever provided all the other software in the building. And SVT is finding that, hey, there's a need there, not just for picking robots, but for AMRs and other robotic systems to make that integration easier for the end customer, who again, typically doesn't have the team who could do that themselves. And then Tompkins, of course, has this modular uh, T-sort sortation capability, which is interesting as well. And again, once the robot and the T-sort are combined together, the flow of the inventory becomes a lot more automated and connected than it, than it otherwise is. And it can work 24-7 and it you know, really becomes a, a flexible machine for the operation. For those, I guess we're living in this reality of COVID and this global pandemic. I mean, every, literally, I talk about it every time because it hasn't gone away. Even the vaccine coming, hopefully you have a robot to help there. <laughs> I, <laughs> I wish we did, yes. <laughs> can, you, Maybe. can you tell us a little bit about you know, um, what, what, is, what has it meant for your customer? What, what trends and observations are you seeing um, yes. your customers. Well, the first one, again, it's been well documented is because people are staying at home, they still do need items. And so anything they're buying, you know, more than ever, they're online. And so, you know, that's probably the, the, the number one trend. But on top of that, in the workplace, people running large fulfillment centers need better ways to keep the workers safe. So fewer people spread farther apart is generally, you know, it's better. So any task you could outsource to a robot uh, is attractive in that sense, right? Now, that said, these projects take a little time to materialize. There's an integration step and so on and so forth. And early this year, you know, a lot of companies sort of put new investments and in new technology on pause while they waited to see what the impact would be. So what we've seen is, is a little hesitation in the March to, I don't know, uh, July, August timeframe. But as you start hitting September, October, companies have had a chance to think ahead even if the vaccine comes out and within you know 12 months things are back to normal, they don't want to be caught in this situation again. And they still have this, this new online demand that they would rather keep. <laughs> you know, they don't want people to go back maybe to the habit of going to the store. They'd be just as happy to keep the uh, customer's business online if they can. And to do that, they really have to up the game. This, this volume spike due to the pandemic has exposed that systems weren't ready for two times the volume you know, overnight. So anyways, we see a lot of uh, senior level engagement at retailers and, and, uh, and farm, you know, online pharmacies and grocers and so on as they try to understand what's that next step. Can they bring robots into existing facilities? Is it for new facilities? Uh, I think all of these things we'll see a, a wave of investment through 2021, 22, 23 as those plans are executed. I've mentioned COVID. I, I, if I'm a listener and I'm thinking, okay, I might have a enterprise that's, you know, turning over a billion and I'm, I have quite a lot of products. How, and I haven't yet engaged with a robotics company. How do I engage with you and your team? What is the process? How do I start? And how do I know that I'm, I should actually be, how should I know if I should have robots or not? How do I qualify myself? So I think the first thing, as you said, if you already understanding that you have a pain point, you know, you're worried about how are you going to pick items day in and day out, 
Uh, that's a good sign. I think the next thing that we generally, when we engage with people, so certainly someone in that situation could reach out to us, we'll help them evaluate. How does your item set look versus the capabilities of the robot? If you're shipping outdoor patio furniture, that's pretty much out of scope, right? We're, we're not able to handle that. Maybe there's some other robot that can. We'll try to help you find something or point you in the right direction if we can. But assuming the item set matches the range of things that we handle well, we can help you assess what that would look like. Talk about the workflows. Again, the robots, it's a lot of cool tech. They're very sophisticated, but things that people can do easily, for example, if there's a bin of mixed items and I said, T, go grab the blue t-shirt, this famous blue t-shirt, you know, if it's in the bottom and you couldn't see it, you would assume it's there, you would dig around for it till you found it, right? Robots don't really do that very well. So, you know, we, we have to be careful. We don't expect them to do human equivalent things. They can't do that. But anyways, we could help people understand what's the scope of what it does really well and how would that look, you know, what, what are the costs, the paybacks. We can give people a first pass at that. Generally, that's really helpful for them to assess whether it makes sense to go forward with a project anytime soon. Yes. And uh, in terms of the future of, um, I would say, warehouse automation as, as a whole, where do you see it during the peak season right now? You know, you have Christmas coming up and as an executive, you're thinking, why did I not have this before? And your <laughs> customers, are they buying more from you right now because of this peak season? Yeah, I think during the peak, again, pretty much anything that people are using during peak is already installed. Actually, I was thinking about this. This will be our third peak season. I mean, the, the products only came out three and a half, four years ago, right? So uh, every peak season, we do some pregame preparation with the customers. They go into a full 24-7 operating mode, and we have to support that. So that's a little bit complicated this year because we can't necessarily have on site and so on and so forth. So we've built a lot of more remote capabilities this year, the tools and, and uh, network uh, support and so on to, to, to remotely manage things. Again, our software team and support team are scattered working from their homes all over the place now you know so it's quite different but i think for this year's peak then it's about okay let's make sure all the machines are running properly 100 percent through the peak and that's laying the groundwork for the follow-on projects that again we've got a bit of a backlog of things that will be lighting up in the first half of next year mm -hmm. so so anyways i think this year too there'll be lessons from the peak about uh, as there are every year what could you do better next year where you know, where, where are there the newer pain points that you have to address and hopefully the, the next wave of projects will attack those. And what, what is the future of warehouse automation? I guess everyone uh, has learned from this pandemic that, you know, an external event happens and you suddenly need, you need to keep fulfilling these orders. Yet you don't want as many people uh, close to each other. You need to meet at distance. What is going to happen in the future? And are we going to see more of an investment in this industry? Yeah, I, I think it's clear that we will. And again, maybe I'm a little biased. I'm a vendor in the space. But, but all things being equal and having, again, been through some of these adoption curves over the years. You know, right now, he's picking robots in particular. Probably hundreds of millions of picks in the field, not billions of picks. But, you know, gaining that experience and that, that soak in, in the real production environment, right? And if you were to flash forward to like 2030, so today 
maybe if there are hundreds of robots out there in different facilities, and a lot of it now is about the, you know, this adoption curve, right? It always takes some time for things to prove in, uncover kind of the second and third order issues and concerns, start addressing those, uh, and then you get broader adoption across more customers. So, you know, I was thinking about this in this way that if you're a young person today starting a career, uh, and if you want to get into industrial automation in general, but in particular robots or even piece-picking robots, it's a bright trajectory. You know, for the next 20 years, you will have plenty of projects and work and interesting things to do. So I'm pretty, again, I've seen enough of how the technology is moving, whether it's us, other guys, or how many companies, you know, you never know. But I think it's a very clear trend. So if you don't jump in now as a customer, you can do it in two years or five years, but you will eventually get there. Sooner is better, but um, uh, it's coming. It's coming. It'll just get better and easier to integrate and use. Before I get to my traditional, you know, what are you excited about question, I'd like to understand, are you telling your girls to get into industrial automation? <laughs> well, you know, my girls actually have a son and, and the daughters both, but yeah, I don't know if they'll get into industrial automation or not. You know, honestly, as that industry grows, you need, I don't know, finance people, project people, marketing people, you know, this just creates all kinds of jobs around it as well. So we'll see where their interests and desires take them, but there will be all kinds of things to do. And that'll be a great industry. And the Boston area where we're based is it's a, it's a robotics hub between academics and companies and startups and big companies and so on, iRobot, Amazon Robotics, and so on. So this is a great place to be, and that'll power and fuel this region for a long time, I think. That's fantastic. And now, what are you excited about, I guess, in the next few years? What is getting you up every morning right now and will continue to get you up out of bed and you know, driving the growth in this industry with right-hand robotics? Yeah. Well, I think that future state that I've kind of painted here a little bit helps, you know, because let's face it, in a startup, some days are a little rougher than others. And there's all kinds of challenges with growth uh, and evolution and technical, you know, challenges and so on and so forth. Some of which you've anticipated and planned for, some of which come up that uh, maybe were, you couldn't know until you got deeper into the uh, adoption and evolution of the technology. So, you know, that's, that's the life in the, this sort of new product, a startup space. If some days you end the day on a high note and other times there's a, there's a, a punch to the gut some more in the day, right? But hopefully the high notes outnumber uh, the, the problems and you, you keep plugging forward with a focus, you know, the so-called North Star, this vision of where, where it's going to go. I find that, you know, interesting and exciting. And I don't know, I think it'll be, you know, the end state is a world where it's uh, easier and, and simpler to get products to people, which is just a very useful, helpful, necessary thing. So it's generally uh, to the good to be working in this space as well. I'm so thankful. And by the way, Vince, your, your branding is so fantastic that it really stands out. So I just want to thank you and the rest of the Right Hand Robotics team for making this happen. And Thank you, for, thank you for your time, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you too, T. really appreciate it, and it was a pleasure speaking with you. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and let us know what you liked. To follow along with future episodes, be sure to subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice, or head over to automatingthechain.com for the latest updates. Until next time.